been hosting many political debates on St. Louis on the Air, but today we talked to State Auditor Nicole Galloway by herself. You know, I, I think Governor Parson needs to step outside of his bubble in Jefferson City. I guess my question is, are you cozy with Cheryl Crow? And, and did you ever think of that as a liability? <laughs> well, I have not met Cheryl Crow. You've never even uh, met? I know that she is uh, uh, from the boot heel. I think she was a teacher uh, in the St. Louis area, music teacher, I think. Uh, I'm Sarah Fenske. This is St. Louis on the Air. hoping to give a forum to the two candidates for Missouri governor on this show. We reached out to Governor Mike Parson four times in recent weeks, offering him time on the show, and his campaign did not respond to any of those requests. Nicole Galloway is the auditor of the state of Missouri, and she is the Democratic nominee for governor, and we are so glad that she's with us today. It's just her and me, and we'll also take some of your calls. So, Auditor Galloway, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thank you, Sarah. So it's just two weeks until ballots get counted, and actually a whole bunch of people have already voted at this point. How are you feeling right now? Yeah, I I feel really enthused and great about where we are in this campaign with just two weeks to go into this election. And as you mentioned, folks that are able to early vote or vote absentee right now, uh, folks are voting. Um, But, you know, Election Day where those votes are counted, and I think the majority of folks will head to the polls on Election Day um, to cast their ballots. So we certainly have the momentum in this race. We have closed the lead uh, in the polls. Governor Parson and I are neck and neck. And so this race is close. So the polls I'm seeing suggest you're down maybe four points, seven points. That's pretty good in Missouri, which is such a Republican state. Um, But it does feel like you're really confident. I saw you tweeted just a couple weeks ago. You wrote, on November 3rd, I'm going to be the first woman elected governor of Missouri. Are you seeing polls that I'm not seeing? You know, we have. I have seen polls that show this race within the margin of error. Hmm. Um, and so we have completely closed the gap on Governor Parsons' lead. When I started this campaign, I knew that I would be coming from behind. You know, that's, uh, I, I had no illusions about that. But I, I think it's also important to note that Governor Parsons' approval rating has dropped 22 points over the last several months hmm. because of his mishandling of COVID, because he doesn't have a plan for health care. Uh, and so, you know, I, I'm not sure the polls that you are seeing, but our polling shows that this race is in the margin of error. And as I said, I think this is going to be really close on election night. Hmm. Well, that'd be pretty exciting in a state where things aren't always quite so exciting. Sometimes we see some big gaps between Republicans and Democrats here. Um, But you have launched some pretty effective attacks on him. Your line from the debate with Governor Parson really stuck with me. You said, he's simply in over his head. Here's a quote from you. You said, on our biggest challenges, Governor Parson's solutions are just too small. If he had answers, we would have seen them already. Give me an example of a bigger solution that you would implement if you were in charge right now. 
you know, I think that we can look to issues of healthcare, and we can also look to our current crisis with COVID. Governor Parson is not facing the reality of COVID in our state right now. Uh, St. Louis Public Radio, the the newspapers in St. Louis uh, have covered over the last couple of days that hospitals are alarmed at the rise in COVID patients. We're nearing a red zone in basically every indicator. And Governor Parson continues to mention these four pillars of his response to COVID, but the reality is these pillars are crumbling upon themselves. Our positivity rate is near 20%. As governor, I would follow data and science. I would listen to public health experts. I would put in a statewide contact tracing program. Uh, I would purchase more uh, and provide more rapid testing. And has been very clear that I would put in a mask rule for the state of Missouri. When we look to health care, Governor Parson has no plan or vision for health care. Voters passed Medicaid expansion. I would implement Medicaid expansion in a way that it provides economic benefits to our state, but also provides folks access to health care. You know, folks want health care that's affordable and accessible. And I have a plan to do that without raising taxes uh, and, and to protect coverage for pre-existing conditions. So going back to the COVID thing, which, of course, is a big part of the health care thing right now, are you surprised that even after being diagnosed with, with COVID-19 himself, um, that he continues to take more of a hands-off approach to the state's response to it? You know, I, I don't think that those two things are related. And and I do want to say, you know, I, I am very thankful. And I think that we are blessed that Governor Parson and his wife fully recovered mm-hmm. from COVID. Um, you know, that that really is is very positive. And I, I hope that they have continued health. I don't think that his response is dependent upon that recovery or that that diagnosis, because from the very beginning, uh, he has taken a hands-off approach from COVID. I mean, if we look back uh, to May, Governor Parson wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post, basically declaring mission accomplished <laughs> over COVID in May. Uh, and so if in his mind, you know, this crisis is over and he wants to move on. But people are hurting. I mean, our schools are not fully reopened. Mm -hmm. Economically, we are hurting. 70,000 Missourians have left the labor force, have left the labor market because they cannot find a job in Parsons' COVID economy. 2,600 Missourians have died because of this virus. Um, And I do believe that Missourians want a governor who realizes the severity of this crisis and will act with urgency to protect our fellow Missourians. As you mentioned, it's not just the people who are getting sick and and who are dying. There's also been some real fallout. And, you know, there was a a terrible story in the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. They did a great job with it, but it just continues to haunt me thinking about this, where they talked about how kids who are living in poverty are faring during this pandemic. You know, in many cases, they don't have enough devices that they can go to school or there's no parents around who can help them juggle all these different Zoom calls and things that more affluent kids are able to handle. Is there anything the state of Missouri can be doing about that situation, which affects so many families in St. Louis? Oh, absolutely. And my heart truly goes out to those families because, you know, these are folks that are working, their kids go to school, you know, they're doing everything that they've told they're supposed to do, right? And they've been impacted by this pandemic in ways that they could not prepare or imagine. And for folks that were living on the edge already, this pandemic has pushed them over the edge. And 
I believe we should not allow them to fall so deep into a black hole that they'll never be able to get out of this. So there's several things that can happen here. One, the governor can take action to decrease community spread, decrease the spread of this virus. In doing that, schools can then open again, right? Because community spread and community transmission will be lowered. Um, and so, you know, that's number one. Number two, realize that there's hundreds of millions of dollars of CARES Act money that is sitting at the state level, not being deployed to help people get through this, hmm. not help with folks' basic needs. It's not helping. Uh, it should help more with school districts bridge this digital divide uh, so we can get through this. Um, but again, if, if Governor Parson is not willing to recognize that there's even a problem thinking that this crisis is over and he wants to move on, then he's not going to be able to put in place plans to fully address it. You mentioned this CARES Act money that's just sitting there. Um, it sounds like it's sitting there in Jefferson City. Is this money that's been earmarked for other things or he's just not spending it because he He's not seeing these these on the ground realities that that you're talking about. Honestly, I I don't know what the issue is, but this CARES Act money is going to lapse at the end of the year unless Congress reauthorizes the use of the of this CARES Act money or they pass another CARES Act package, a CARES Act like stimulus or recovery package. And so we're running out of time here. and you know, there's a, a working group that ha- that was appointed to uh, look at CARES Act money. According to their website, they haven't met since July. And mm-hmm. you know, folks gave up so much this spring when the state shut down to flatten the curve. They gave up income, time with family, graduations, celebrations. Now here we are. It's hard to understand what we have to show for it. Um, and, you know, it's just so important to realize that this is not over. We're heading into the winter months. We're heading into flu season. Every gain that and sacrifice that folks gave up has essentially been erased. Um, and it, so I, I, we just, we need a complete reset on our COVID strategy because we continue to slide backwards. And deploying these CARES, this CARES Act money, these resources that were specifically meant to help folks get through this, help local communities get through this, it makes no sense to me that it is just stuck at the state level. Hmm. I wanted to ask you something on a lighter note here, um, because that is it's a thoroughly depressing situation from whatever perspective you're looking at the pandemic from. It's just there's there's few things that can make you smile there. But I saw one of the more intriguing attack ads that I've seen in an election cycle that was uh, it was attacking you. And in this attack ad, they basically accused you of being cozy with Sheryl Crow. I guess my question is, are you cozy with Sheryl Crow? And, and did you ever think of that as a liability? <laughs> well, I have not met Sheryl Crow. You've never even uh, met. I know that she is uh, uh, from the boot heel. I think she was a teacher uh, in the St. Louis area, music teacher, I think. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's so funny to me how far the governor and his allies will go to stretch the truth or to completely mislead the public, or in this case, just completely make things up um, because they really don't have anything else to run with and they are nervous in this election. Uh, and so you can see when when um, the governor and his allies are concerned about their momentum and their standing in this race, they resort to those 
lies, and that that's a pretty bizarre attack. Yeah, the fact you've never even met. Wow, who knew that that would be hung around your neck, the friendship <laughs> with Sheryl Crow, the non-existent friendship with Sheryl Crow. I did want to ask you, though, part of this attack ad is it's calling her out for saying that she started losing faith in people who voted for Donald Trump. And I feel like that kind of exemplifies kind of the, the fine needle that you have to thread here. You have to appeal both to St. Louis liberals, who are a big part of, of who vote for Democrat in the state of Missouri. But then there's also a lot of people who vote for Trump that I imagine you wouldn't mind getting their vote. Is it hard to sort of walk that um, balance there? I don't I don't find that to be the case at all, because I, I speak with Trump Galloway voters all of the time. Hmm. Um, you know, these are folks that know that the system is broken, that the system is rigged, and that it's not working for them. I have seen that firsthand as state auditor. These folks also know that I am willing to stand up to the system, to shake up the system uh, in order to get results for them. I mean, folks know my record. I have over, I have 63 criminal counts that have been brought against corrupt public officials in this state, Democrats and Republicans, uh, because of the work that I have done. So, it, you know, I think what I, what I find when I travel the state, urban, rural, north, south, you mean, you name it, folks are tired of the status quo. And we cannot just go back to where we were on the eve of this crisis, because where we were was not good enough for too many people. Um, And so, you know, my agenda, (laughs) the way that I think about it, is really an agenda that is genuine to who I am and what I stand for. I don't view this as a Republican agenda or a Democratic one. It's one that puts the needs of Missouri families, the needs of Missourians at the center of everything I do. And it sounds like uh, fair to say you welcome the votes of any Trump supporter who'd want to vote for you. I, you know, every vote in this election matters. And so, yes, as I said, I speak to Trump Galloway voters all of the time. And Their support means a lot to me, uh, just as any other vote does. We do need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com. And now back to our conversation with State Auditor Nicole Galloway. She, of course, is running for governor of Missouri. Those ballots will be counted in just a few short weeks. Uh, many people will also be voting in two weeks, but are voting now. And we do want to mention that over the past few weeks, we did reach out to Governor Mike Parson four different times to invite him to come on this show. His campaign did not respond to any of those requests. And his campaign also stopped responding to inquiries about participating in a debate that was to be held by St. Louis Public Radio, the Nine Network, and KSD. DK5 on your side, and State Auditor Galloway did agree to that debate. So, um, Auditor, we're very sad we couldn't make that debate happen, um, but I guess that's, that's par for the course here. Sometimes the incumbent does not want to debate. Was that a, a disappointment for you that you only got to have one so far? 
It was a, it was a disappointment. Um, you know, we challenged the governor to four debates. Uh, we did have one uh, in conjunction with the Missouri Press Association, but you know, I, I think Governor Parson needs to step outside of his bubble in Jefferson City and address the very real concerns that folks have across the state. And his lack of willingness to debate um, shows that he's really not up to facing that challenge. I want to go to the phone lines. Uh, Max is calling from Veronica Park. Uh, Max, hi, you're on St. Louis on the Air. Yes, good afternoon and good afternoon, uh, Ms. Galloway. I think you probably already said something about this, and I missed it when I was on with your screener. Uh, Cheryl Crow is, was born and raised in Kennett, Missouri. Mm-hmm. She's a Missourian. Now, she left Missouri to become a big success in Hollywood and a millionaire. But, I mean, this is not somebody who's not from Missouri coming into Missouri with money, which don't bother me. But she was born and raised in Kennett, Missouri. And about 10 years back, she gave Kennett, Missouri an Olympic-sized swimming pool. Hmm. So, uh, so, so, Max, it sounds like you feel like uh, even if Nicole Galloway were good pals with Cheryl Crow, that's nothing to apologize for. Well, well, yeah, and I mean, I'm not the biggest. I don't have any Cheryl Crow either on my database or my record collection. But, I mean, this kind of stuff, always the latest is uh, John Hamm is given some county money. Well, John Hamm was born in St. Louis. That's a good point, Max. Um, yeah, there's a lot of celebrities who are from here, and it seems like they, they do have the right to weigh in on, on their native place. I want to go back to the phone lines. Uh, David is calling from Webster Groves. Um, David, hi. You're on St. Louis on the Air. Oh, yeah. Afternoon. And uh, afternoon, uh, uh, Auditor? Yes, Auditor the, Galloway. Uh, yeah. The um, Trump administration is trying to push this herd immunity. And apparently the death rate uh, we're at currently, we're, we're basically below 5% of the dead that would be needed to make herd immunity happen. So if, uh, uh, if the auditor would become governor, uh, she would basically be fighting against a, kind of a landslide of, of uh, herd immunity policies surrounding in the surrounding states. And I wonder if she's got a... a a plan for how to how to compete against uh, such a bad idea. Uh, David, thank you for that question. Um, Auditor Galloway, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on the herd immunity that other states may be uh, trying to achieve. You know, herd immunity is, um, it, it doesn't work. Uh, the White House Coronavirus Task Force and public health experts, even within the Trump administration, are pushing back against the idea of herd immunity. Um, and I saw something kind of early on, actually, in this pandemic from the Republican governor in Georgia, significantly pushing back against herd immunity because the math just doesn't add up. And look, I, I understand that folks are frustrated. They are tired of this pandemic. Mm-hmm. They, you know, they, I mean, I, I, I really do understand that. I get that myself. Um, you know, I, I really want my kids' school to, to open again, and we can move on, right, and, and push past this. But we, we, you know, with the concept of herd immunity, we would be hurting folks. So many folks would get sick. You know, right now, even our hospitalizations are, are up and hospitals are at a breaking point right now. Um, and, you know, deaths continue to rise at an alarming rate 
um, and with hospitalizations up, we know that uh, deaths are a lagging indicator. And so with hospitalizations up now, unfortunately, we might continue to see uh, an increase in our death rate as more folks get COVID, get sick from COVID, um, it's likely then that there's more folks that would not be likely to, to recover. And so I believe in creating a plan, uh, and I have created a plan and, and vision uh, to fight COVID based on the public health, based on science, on data. Um, and I would lean on those public health experts to make sure that we can stop the spread of this virus, but we can also get our economy back open again. David, I want to thank you for that question. Let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, Greg is calling from St. Louis. Greg, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Oh, yes. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, I was wondering, uh, Auditor, um, what are your stance on uh, criminal uh, justice reform in the state of Missouri? Because uh, the, the Republican-led House and, and the Governor Mike Parson make it so hard for uh, first-time nonviolent felonies to get their record expunged. Mm -hmm. Greg, I think that's a great question. Auditor Galloway, thoughts on that? Yes, Greg, and thanks for asking that. Um, look, we know that there's a backlog of thousands and thousands of uh, requests for clemency sitting on the governor's desk that he has not acted on. And this has been going on for years. You know, this is an issue under Governor Parson, but it's been an issue for years. And, you know, I believe in creating a process to look at those clemency records with really a serious eye, um, because I, I know how that impacts folks' ability to have a better economic future for themselves, right? What what that uh, might prevent for them, um, even when they've, you know, we, they've done everything that we have asked them to do uh, to be a, a good and productive member of our communities. You know, mm -hmm. I, I have put forward an agenda on criminal justice reform and policing reforms that's based on the concept of building trust between law enforcement and the communities they serve with accountability and with oversight. And I think after the killing of George Floyd this summer, we saw demands for change, but really some amazing acts of unity with law enforcement and, and members of the community standing together saying, we want change, we don't want any talk, right? We want policy, we want change, we want a plan, and we want action. And so I've put together this criminal justice uh, reform package, and I'm currently working with legislators, uh, including Senator Brian Williams there in St. Louis, to make this plan a legislative reality. And I, the one thing that I do want to say, you know, Greg mentioned, you know, Republicans in Jefferson City. I have found folks on the other side of the aisle that want change and reform too, because they know that the path we're on is not sustainable and it's also, it's it, it can be dangerous. Um, and, and so, you know, we need to give law enforcement the tools they need to protect our communities, to serve our communities, and we need to build build that trust, build that bridge of trust um, uh, between, um, as I said, our communities and, and law enforcement. That leads into a question I wanted to ask you about, which uh, also has to do with law enforcement, and that's this issue of defunding the police. You sounded almost exasperated in your one debate with Governor Parson. I think he came at you maybe three or four times saying that you wanted to defund the police. You said you have never wanted that. That's not what you want here. Is this a question of reform, not not cutting the budget? Right. I mean, the reform 
is not the same as defunding the police and it's disingenuous you know to, to put that together I do not support defunding the police I have been very clear about that and uh, I think you know the governor continues to say that because he wants to make it true but he can say it as much as he wants and that will not make it true you know governor parson himself defunded the police he cut 1.8 million dollars from our state's uh, police force our highway patrol this summer and so the only candidate in this race to actually defund the police is the governor. I mean, you know, in fairness to the governor, though, I mean, that was part of a much bigger set of, of pandemic-related cuts. Is is the police budget sacrosanct and when everybody else has to take a hit? You know, if, if he is accusing me of, of something that I do not stand for, I think it's important to take a look at his own actions and his own priorities. Um, and so the facts are the facts. He did cut that money from the budget. I mean, that is, in fact, what he is is making the point of, of saying defund the police. You know, I have worked hand in hand with law enforcement to bring criminal counts uh, with folks uh, at the state, the federal and the local levels. Um, and I have done audits where I have found waste in municipal and county uh, government budgets and the state budget. Uh, and those resources were so meant to go towards public safety, meant to go towards first responders, but weren't. And my, off, my uh, audits identified that um, to put funding where voters said that they wanted it. So again, I, I think he can have a lot of political rhetoric here, but it's important to look at record. Let's go back to the phone lines. John is calling from St. Louis County. Um, John, hi, you're on St. Louis on the Air. Yes, hello. Um, I'm a uh, previous school board member from a uh, St. Louis County school district, and um, uh, I am aware of how schools, public schools, are funded in uh, in the state. Uh, urban schools frequently get 70, 80 percent of their funds from uh, local taxes, primarily uh, property taxes, whereas um, rural schools get a lot larger percentage from uh, state support. Uh, local schools don't get that much money from state support in the St. Louis and other urban areas. Mm -hmm. um, it's more or less an unfair situation regarding where money comes from and how it's uh, uh, able to be spent. I wondered if Nicole had some thoughts about that. Um, John, thank you for that question. Uh, Auditor Galloway? Yes, John. And, you know, I hear concerns about funding for our public schools everywhere, whether I'm in St. Louis, St. Charles, um, you know, the rural, our rural parts of our state. Um, you know, folks want to make sure that their kids can get a good education. And what you're referencing, I believe, is the foundation formula, the formula that the state created to fully fund our public schools. And the idea was at the time that no matter where you lived in this state, that you would have access to a good education, that that was equitable across the state. And the legislature could never fund that high bar uh, to fully fund education. And that's because they gave away revenue to special interests. They uh, opened loopholes for corporations. I mean, I, I've seen it over and over again in Jefferson City. That was their priority uh, instead of uh, funding our, our schools. And so instead of 
but uh, making it a priority, they just lowered the bar on the foundation formula to the exact amount that they could fund mm-hmm. our, our schools. And then started saying in press releases and tweets, you know, we fully funded public education, but it does nothing to address the gap, the real need that our school districts need. Um, and so, as I, I have always said, budgets are about priorities. And I would prioritize K through 12 education and higher education. These budget cuts uh, have, are very short-sighted because we know that uh, our state needs a skilled and trained workforce. But I think it does go further than that because these illegal gambling machines have popped up everywhere in the state. Some people call them gray machines. Some people call them illegal gambling machines. And you all know that our gambling money, our, our lottery money goes to education. Well, these illegal gambling machines are siphoning off millions of dollars that should be going to arts, to the foundation formula, to school districts. Hmm. But the operators of these machines have given Governor Parsons campaign apparatus, thousands and thousands of dollars in contributions. And so he cut funding for the investigators to root out these illegal machines. You know, Governor Parson found a way for him, for, for himself, for these insiders to win. And once again, under Parson, education loses. Well, that's a that's a great in-depth answer to um, to a good question coming from one of our callers, and and what a mess this whole situation is when it comes to the public funding of our schools. Um, Auditor Galloway, we're very short on time here, but I did want to ask you one last question, and that is, um, as I mentioned earlier, you were tweeting that you you are ready to become Missouri's first female governor. Does it seem crazy to you that Missouri has never before had a female governor? I went back and looked; the first state elected its first female governor in 1924. We are now close to 100 years behind Wyoming. It is surprising to me uh, because uh, we have so many fantastic qualified women that have run for office and are are running for office. And so, uh, you know, I do think um, it it certainly is time. Um, And I am running for governor and I'm a woman. I'm not running for governor because I am a woman. Um, I would point out, and I love this too, is that I would be the first certified fraud examiner to be governor. (laughs) That seems even more important, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. At least equally important. Maybe I should tweet that as well. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) I want to see you leave this show and go and tweet that you would be our first certified fraud examiner. Because, yeah, there's probably some fraud that one could look at. (laughs) (laughs) Well, State Auditor Nicole Galloway, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.